It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarta. I'm a franchise advisor and coach by day, and I help people figure out franchising even by podcast, I guess by night. I am uh, involved in the franchise industry now for more than 23 years. I've owned and operated my own concepts. I used to be a subway conductor in the New York City subway opening and closing doors until one day an old timer said to me, hey kid, this is a great job because you'll always have a shirt on your back. He said, it'll never be a silk shirt, but at least you'll have a shirt. I was like, whoa, that's mediocrity, man. And I, I want more. And I realized that my bosses were not wearing the metaphorical silk shirts, but business owners wore. I didn't know how to be a business owner. I was a government guy, but I realized a franchise is a business with training wheels. And that's what I needed, somebody to hold my hand. And so I dove in, I built a smoothie franchise, built it, sold it, had a great time, built another one, crashed that one, wrote a book about it called Franchise Savvy. And if you are on my website, check out thefranchiseacademy.com and pick up the book, Franchise Savvy. It's all my stories, good, bad, and ugly about my franchise experience. And you should know that stuff before you buy a franchise. Today, I am really excited because I have a great guest. He's a franchise owner. So this is not a franchise company, but it's an owner of Solar Salons. Austin Campbell out of San Diego owns... 18 solar salon units with more to come. He provides, he and his team, I should say, provide more than 700 independent salon owners with their own unique space to cut hair and also do other things. I want to invite, invite in Austin. How are you, Austin? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. Welcome to the Franchise Academy. I am Thank so you. excited to have you. Appreciate so, it. Give me, I mean, I could... I could probably give the elevator speech on solar, but let me go to you. What, how, how do you explain this concept? Cause it's, it's unique. It is, it is unique. Yeah. And it's something that, um, you know, had been very commonplace in, in a couple of cities in Texas and uh, Phoenix, Arizona had been around forever, but solo was the first one to make this a real kind of national brand. But the whole idea is, is, you know, the freedom of a salon owner, but responsibilities of employee or, you know, on the West coast is a booth renter. Uh, it's more common out here to have um, salons where hairstylists rent the chair. They don't actually work for the salon, which can be a bit of a um, tax employment uh, issue with the state of California, but uh, let's leave it at that. But, you know, you know, we basically provide space to where you can really be that salon owner and be your own boss and be in business for yourself and not by yourself. So we provide space, you know, essentially executive suites for the beauty industry, right? And so we provide space where they come in, they rent uh, a chair, or I'm sorry, a studio instead of a chair. And they have a you know, shampoo bowl, cabinetry, styling chair, um, you know, and a lockable door so that they can really run their own show. And then the rent they pay us includes all utilities and insurance, Wi-Fi, everything like that. So uh, they don't have to deal with any bills or, you know, if anything breaks, they don't have to fix it. So really being your own boss without the BS of being your own boss, we kind of take that off the plate, off their plate and take care of it ourselves. That is fantastic. So, so to put it in kind of real simple terms, so I'm a hairstylist. I love cutting hair. 
but I don't like working for like this jerk who's renting me a yeah. chair for 50% of what I'm taking in. I have Got a it. following. And meanwhile, this person's taking half my money. Now I could take my following to a sola salon, have my own suite, open and close when I want, vacation when I want, do whatever I want, and keep all the money, right? Is that- I, mean, I couldn't say it any better. You nailed it. I mean, you, uh, in the way you explained it, you're ready for a sola salon studio. I'm ready, it- man. Tell me what to send a check. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it's just, uh, it just makes, you know, salon ownership easier, you know, and I think a lot of people in the beauty industry, at least out West, and I keep saying that because the East Coast and West Coast, and it's kind of different in the way the industries have kind of developed from a, from kind of an employee managerial structure standpoint. But out West, you know, you go to school, you assist somebody where literally paid poverty wages, right, to kind of learn the ropes, because a lot of times you don't really learn how to do hair at school, you learn how to be safe, you learn how to pass the test, right. And then you actually learn how to do hair, you know, um, you know, as an assistant or, or kind of mentoring under somebody, and, and really kind of just being their, you know, peon in a lot of ways, but you learn. And then from there, you go to a commission salon where they, like you said, take the 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then from there, you go rent a chair where you pay you know, a, a weekly rent instead of a studio, you're renting just a chair in a big open traditional salon, um, which can cause a lot of drama, a lot of, uh, it's kind of, in my opinion, obviously, I'm very biased, but sets up a bit of a, um, you know, inevitable uh, butting of heads, because you have a salon owner that has to keep a salon moving in a certain direction, then you have booth renters that pay rent that say, I don't need to do what you tell me to do, because I'm paying you rent, so I should be able to work when I want. I should be able to charge what I want. I should be able to use the products I want, which is a huge deal in this industry because people are very loyal to their product companies, specifically their hair care or hair color, uh, you know, uh, manufacturer sure. and, and just causes issues. So then they get frustrated. They get pissed and say, you know what? I'm going to go open my own. Then they go open their own salon, bring a bunch of hairstylists with them. Then they just became the other side of the problem and then right. deal with issues and, you know, deal with drama. Now they're trying to keep, you know, the ship headed in the right direction. And they got all these other people that are now renting from those from her that now say, Hey, I shouldn't have to do this. I actually want to change hair care, you know, hair color lines. And oh, sorry, we're a, you know, we're a bumble and bumble salon. You're not allowed to do that, you know, and just causes a lot of butting of heads. So this whole concept just solves those problems, right? Right. Uh, it fits in between full salon ownership and, and chair rental, in between you theoretically get like i said earlier the best of both worlds yeah it's fantastic can somebody also rent a spot that doesn't do hair per se but maybe they do nails or massage or some of nail you know what i got lash extensions things like that absolutely yeah we uh we actually been especially in the in california seeing a huge increase in other spa beauty services lashes being like you said a huge one um you know facials um you know, massage, nails, um, you know, all different types of uh, skincare, you know, waxing. So yeah, we actually are, I'd say about a third of our uh, beauty professionals are non hair. Now we do have massage. Um, Typically, you need more of a kind of spa environment, really quiet. Um, You know, we're not perfectly set up for that. We have a handful of massage therapists, but it's not ideal for a massage therapist. But it is ideal for, you know, someone doing waxing or eyelashes or, you know, we've had even have, uh, you know, um, nurses that do Botox. So we're having a bigger and bigger increase of, um, 
of licensed RNs coming in and doing Botox and different types of, uh, you know, medical grade um, skincare, that's which is which is actually what we're trying to focus on more and more because I think that's a huge untapped market that we're just kind of seeing tip of the iceberg at this point. Heck yeah, and and I you know we're going to talk more about the benefits from the franchise owner's perspective, but one thing that that I all of a sudden just had like a a, a brain flash or whatever a light bulb went off during COVID. You guys, the way you're set up, were basically set up for COVID before there was COVID, meaning that it's a salon. It's like a, I don't know the dimensions, you know, 10 foot by 10 foot glass booth with a closed door. There's a salon person and there's a person getting a haircut. And that's it. Um, and if, if you if you came to get your haircut, but they weren't ready for you, you would wait in your car and you could be texted. You come in. Exactly. As a, a buzzer, right, to let to open up the door, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. you have that kind of setup going on at some of the locations, I believe. Um, so I, I think that's brilliant. But from a from a business owner's perspective, why did you get into this of, of all things? I mean, there's 4,000 franchise concepts in America, literally. Why this? You know, I, um, you know, I can't claim to have uh, done a bus of research before getting in this because I was only a couple years out of college. I went to University of Colorado in Boulder. And uh, my uncle Stratton Smith, who uh, lives in Boulder, was one of the two founders of Sola. Um, you know, right out of college, I packed up my Jetta, moved out to L.A., um, tried to get a job with Anheuser-Busch, uh, didn't get that job, got a job with uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car and their management trainee program, you know, a lot of people do, and then get the hell out after a year or two. And right. I was one of those people, right? And so I was in West L.A. renting cars to... Uh, you know, people, you know, a lot of people with, uh, you know, rich people problems. And, and one of them is if their cars in the shop, uh, their Mercedes in the shop and their rental is a Ford focus, then that's a rich people problem that I had to deal with. And I quickly realized I didn't like being a part of that and not just not a part of that, but, you know, part of kind of more a corporate entity really wasn't my gig. Now I learned a lot about sales and customer service and overall management I learned a ton in that year and a half, but I quickly quickly realized it wasn't my gig. So I called up uh, my uncle Stratton and said, what's this Sola thing? And they had about four, I think at the time, they had um, one in Boulder and three in Colorado. And then um, he said, yeah, we're just turned it into a franchise. And and the first non-corporate uh, owned one was in Atlanta with a guy named Haynes Chidsey, who's the, the, the biggest franchisee now. And then there's one in Wichita and one in Kansas City. and um, you know, I said, well, you know, what about us doing this out here? I said, yeah, good luck. And then I, you know, called my dad, who's Stratton's brother-in-law, and they worked together in a previous business venture and were business partners together. And I said, you know, I'm looking to do this. And, you know, he said, well, you do need some money <laughs> to start this. I think at the time I was still paying off my my mattress. You know, I was a couple of years out of college, literally living in a closet in Santa Monica. And, and so my father and I partnered up. We looked all around Santa Barbara because it's a smaller market, LA, and then Orange County. Then I had a lot of friends down in San Diego and, and thought this would be a great market for San Diego or for Sola in San Diego. So we started looking down here. I'd spend days down here, just crash on a buddy's couch. So they still had a lease in LA. And um, you know, we opened up the first one west of Colorado, which was in La Jolla, uh, the La Jolla neighborhood of San Diego, yeah. which is a very small location, but we learned a lot. Uh, we learned where we needed to be, but locations after that. But um, 
you know, I, uh, you know, sorry, I, um, you know, realized that I needed to, you know, be down there. So I moved down and now I've started a life down in San Diego. But to answer your original question is I, um, you know, I didn't do the research at the beginning. I, you know, was fortunate enough to have a family member that brought me into this and, and, you know, but, you know, we've really spearheaded this in a lot of ways, you know, the first in California, we're the first in a lot of things and really helped kind of develop soul into how it is. And I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I absolutely love it, but that's how I got into it. Um, you know, I've learned a lot of, but I've, I've become close with a lot of franchisees, including your buddy, Mark Kovach, um, yeah. you know, that has done a lot of research and realized that this is a pretty cool concept just because you don't need a ton of employees. And, you know, I, you know, we have a team, a staff of about eight help us run it, but, um, you know, that is pretty cool. And, and one thing that I really liked about this, um, concept is it's a blend between a creative industry and real estate. Right. And that's pretty unique. There's not a lot of places where you could say there's, uh, you know, there's a, um, you know, real estate and a creative industry blended into one business. Right. And so I realized quickly that I, I you know, I studied some real estate in college and thought I wanted to be a, um, a, um, you know, creative advertiser, actually create ads. And then I uh, realized that this is kind of a cool combination between two industries that don't normally overlap. Right. They never overlap. Mm -hmm. um, as you think about Sola, seriously, from just a straight up business perspective, what, what are the, the highlights, the, the pros to this business, in, in your opinion? I think a big part of it is, um, you know, we, you know, this getting into the non-business side, obviously, we're here to, to make money and create a business, but, but we really change people's careers. And, and I, uh, that means a lot to me and to my group, my father and brother who partners with me. Um, we're not here just to make money. Obviously, that's what businesses are designed to do. But we're here to to also change lives. And, and when you're dealing with a lot of issues that I think a lot of beauty professionals thought were just intrinsic to the beauty industry and realize there's a solution to this, where you can be your own boss and not have to deal with all the drama and, and, and truly control your own career. Um, it, it changes lives and changes careers. And, and um, I think that's been pretty cool um, over the years. And, and another thing too, is, um, you know, we're, we have a, a staff of eight, but you know, it's, for 20 locations, that's not much, many employees. So that's another thing that's, uh, is great. You know, <laughs> I was going to ask you that. So it's, it's eight that are overseeing 20 locations. It's not eight per location. Correct. Eight overseeing 20. Wow. Yeah. So, so including, and that, and that's including me and my brother. So my, my father is, you know, you know, somewhat retired. He'll never admit he's retired, but you know, he's not too involved. My brother handles all the financial side of things. I cannot handle the development um, operational leasing side of things. And, um, and between us two are very active, you know, definitely a full-time job. You know, we have six other employees and then a full-time 1099 contractor. So really six employees and then a full-time, uh, contractor that handles all the maintenance stuff. And that's it for all 20 locations. That's just amazing when you think about it. So do, do you have to do any marketing, any sales, there is, yes, we call it leasing, you know, as, but, um, you know, as far as you do you mean leasing studios to the beauty professionals? No, I mean, um, marketing or advertising for customers to come in and get their haircut at Sola. 
Good question. We do, you know, Sola, not just us, but Sola corporate provides some really good options. One is a, uh, a um, online booking system where people can, you know, get clients through that. Um, but we don't actually actively market or sell, sell for each individual tenant. Now we would have a lot more employees if that's what was expected. Now we generally draw a pretty well-established hairstylist or esthetician or you know, nurse or whoever it may be that they don't need a lot of marketing because that's their thing. That's what they're good at. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Sola does provide some backbone. I kind of call it more passive marketing that's available to them. But but as far as active marketing and kind of filling their books, that's that's strictly up to the individual beauty professional. So so unlike any other business, whether it's a sandwich shop or a gym or you name it, where you have to be spending, you know, untold amounts of money every month to get customers in the door, that onus is not on you. Is that's what you're saying? You're saying that the the stylist or the esthetician, they're coming with their own book of business or and or they're doing their advertising. And you don't really have to worry about that as an owner of Sola. Is that right? That is right. Yes. So we really are advertising, marketing, leasing, sales is B to B. You know, really to that's an individual, individual hairdresser, esthetician, but on a business level. You know, so we're bringing them out as a business professional, not as a consumer. So our kind of clients, you know, are are who you know work in our salons, not their clients. So um, they're responsible for their own clients. So what, what is the typical size of a solar salon? I mean, how many people are renting out from you on a monthly basis or however you do it? That's a good question. Yeah. So we used to do about, um, about call it 25 to 35 studios per location. Now we're going much bigger. Um, you get some kind of economies of scale from a construction standpoint. A lot of times you can get better lease rates from landlords. Um, but now we're actually the one that will we're building later this year. It'll be open by the holidays. We'll have something like 78 studios in it. It's 14,000 square feet. Holy cow. It's going to be a little town in and of itself. Yeah. So, oh but God. we've done, a, we've done quite a few 10,000 square footers, which is about 50 to 53 studios. So we're going bigger lately, but the average solar throughout the country is more, call it, you know, 4,500 to 6,000 square feet, which is anywhere from, you know, Call it mid twenties to low thirties in in number of studios. It's amazing. I remember um, Mark Kovach once said to me because um, he's involved in in some ownership of these salons, and I think maybe even with you. But he said essentially what you're doing is you're renting out a space for a dollar and then subleasing it for like seven dollars, right? So that's kind of the deal. Is that right? That's part of it. Yeah. You provide that, you know, that's why I kind of said earlier, the executive suite idea, you know, is, is we lease it for X and you build it out. Nowadays, the construction costs, to be honest with you, are expensive, but, um, you know, but that's just kind of, uh, you know, the situation now, but, um, but yeah, we, you know, we rent out space. We'd love to buy the buildings. I know a lot of solar franchisees have purchased the buildings throughout the uh, country. Yes. San Diego County finding a building, that matches our criteria is pretty much impossible. But uh, a friend of mine that owns uh, Solas and Temecula bought a few of their buildings. The franchisee group in Minnesota have actually done some uh, ground up, you know, bought some dirt and build it from the ground up. And mm -hmm. they have absolutely beautiful locations. And then they can, now they're their own landlords. Um, right. But we have leased typically 
you know, we go into strip centers out in San Diego that are, you know, 20 to $50 million strip centers. And, you know, that's where we're, we do best, like a big parking lot, bunch of other businesses around grocery store, gym, you know, that's where we thrive. And, and obviously we're not in the market for buying $45 million strip centers, but, um, but like I said, that this concept does can work very well, depending on the market to, to use to, to have, you know, land ownership. That is cool. Um, and so aside from all this business stuff, you guys were doing something with Ronald McDonald house. And I wanted to talk more about that. Uh, tell, tell, tell us about that. Absolutely. So our daughter who is just about to be 10 years old on Saturday, she was born with a rare condition called charge syndrome. It's an acronym how they used to diagnose it clinically. Uh, they can diagnose it genetically now, but we spent, we didn't know when she was born, but we spent the first two months at Radies Children's Hospital, which is the San Diego Children's Hospital. And we spent a lot of that time uh, when she was inpatient there, those two months living at the Ronald McDonald house across the way, because where we live up in Carlsbad is pretty, is a bit of a drive to that hospital um, to go back and forth every single day. And we were there literally every single day. So we stayed at the Ronald McDonald house for a while and, and it was a very supportive, incredible, you know, um, welcoming community. And, and years later, I went back and, and I didn't even think in my head about doing a salon there, but I met with um, a couple of people that worked there and said, Hey, we'd like to volunteer and, you know, uh, serve food or just seeing how we could get involved. And then I realized that there was a space in there that years before had been a hair salon that then just turned into a storage space. And I, I don't know how much use it got back in the day, but obviously not enough to keep it going. And so we said, how about we take that over? We gut everything, renovate it, put it in a shampoo bowl, some styling stations, some of the solar cabinetry that we have plenty of extra of in storage and um, make it an actual solar salon studio inside the Ronald McDonald house to where our beauty professionals then <clears throat> um, uh, volunteer their time to give haircuts and sometimes uh, manicures, um, wash, you know, blowouts, you know, to these moms and dads and siblings of kids, you know. That's in. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So amazing. I love that. It's pretty, uh, yeah. You know, we like to get involved here in San Diego, not just giving money to charities, but like really kind of rooting ourselves in, in the, um, you know, the local, the local community. So, that's been cool. Obviously, COVID put that, you know, put the skids on that for a couple of years, but we're now it's getting back going now because obviously they have to be very careful when you got moms living there and dads living there that constantly are going to Rady's Children's Hospital. You got to be very careful that they're not, you know, they're that they're exposing folks as as little as possible. So of course, we've got, yeah. we have gotten this going again here in the last few months, and and um, you know, it's it's going well. But really, you know, really makes your day, makes your week. Because when you're, you know, your kids at the hospital, you don't, you don't think about getting your hair cut. Right, right. It's, a, you know, and just to to clarify for people listening that may not know what the Ronald McDonald House is, it's actually a charity um, that really doesn't have anything to do with the uh, McDonald's Corporation, by the way. But um, right. it's a charity that is a building with with bedrooms, almost like a hotel. Let's call it a hotel. Exactly. Where families of very sick children could stay essentially free of charge. Free, so you yeah. don't have to do that traveling back and forth. 
and they, and it's you know in New York I was involved with with the ones in the one in Long Island which is uh, they just built a second one a couple of years ago before COVID, but it was attached to the Long Island uh, Long Island Jewish and Schneider's Children Hospital there in uh, the Long Island oh. Queens border, um, and and I was pretty friendly with the uh, the chairman of the whole national organization. Um, cool. But it's um. It's a wonderful organization, and you know you could go to Ronald McDonald House, uh, and and if you wanted to get involved with that charity, there's a, a lot of folks that have used it like yourself, and then have come back and said, "How can I pay it forward?" And it's just an awesome thing. Um, so I thank you so much, and also, wow, um, I'm a little speechless. So the gala. Yeah, doing a gala now. Tell me about that. So we are hosting a gala on April 22nd to raise money for uh, to hire personnel to help coordinate care for children in the area that do have charge syndrome. Like I mentioned, that's our daughter's um, syndrome is charge like the San Diego now LA chargers, but charge and again, again, that's how they used to diagnose it uh, an acronym for they used to diagnose it clinically, but they're very luckily our daughter's thriving doing great. A lot of children with CHARGE syndrome have some pretty serious struggles, completely blind, completely deaf, major heart defects, um, mm. um, you know, GI issues, you know, cognitive delays. There's a lot of different things um, involved, and some are more severe than others. And uh, luckily, our daughter is doing great. Obviously, we have plenty of struggles, but uh, she's doing great. And, and my wife and I wanted to give back as well to the CHARGE community. Um, and there's a, a CHARGE center Charge Syndrome Center at Cincinnati Children's Hospital that we've taken our daughter to a couple of times to get extensive care. She had a heart procedure there uh, to get second opinions, has low, low vision clinic, kind of how to help her navigate in the real world based on you know how her vision is. Um, and we've thought for years we wanted to duplicate that out in San Diego. And, and it won't be an actual physical center, but it's going to be hiring a coordinator and per, uh, possibly an admin person that then will coordinate care We've already gotten about a six or eight doctors um, on board to to be part of this kind of network of um, doctors that will treat treat charge kids like kind of a case in a case by case situation rather than coming in and you know a lot of times you go see a the cardiologist and ENT doctor and neurologist and everything they're telling you conflicts and doesn't make any sense and you don't know what the care strategy is you know and um, it can be very frustrating and overwhelming and, and quite honestly, I think can lead to children not making it, um, you know, when you're not getting the the comprehensive care you need. And so we want to, um, again, do what they've done at Cincinnati Children's Hospital out here where they will, you know, treat each kid and for back, lack of better terms, the Mayo Clinic model right, where you go there and every specialist that you might need, you know, works on your case and they come up with a comprehensive care package where they all communicate and talk and, you know, come up with a, a, a you know, plan that that will help you. And, and that's what we're looking to you know, duplicate out here in San Diego. And we have a big event on April 22nd uh, to raise money to, to get that going. And that's going to, and that's in San Diego. Yes, it's in San Diego at the Santa Luz Club. So we're working with two other families that have charged kids. One uh, belongs to this you know, really nice country club. So she was able to sponsor us to have this really nice country club, which is great. 
Um, the other family actually lost their daughter due to charge syndrome complications last year, the age of 21, um, which is obviously brutal, but you know, they want to help so that other people don't have to go through that. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. That is cool. Is, is there like a website or something that somebody could look at? Absolutely. Yeah. It's charge into the future.org. So kind of a play on the, the charge syndrome thing, obviously, but charge into the future.org. Oh, cool. Yeah. So we'll, we'll put that on, on the website, thefranchiseacademy.com. People could link directly to that. And if they want Thank to get you. involved or just understand what this is all about, uh, we'll definitely promote that. Um, so I, I got two quick questions for you before we wrap this up. So if what is your advice to someone if they're listening in right now and they're thinking about getting involved with a franchise, they don't know which way to go, you know, they're scared, what should they do? What's a good franchise? Do you have any advice along those lines for somebody? You know, I think a franchise really has to support what your lifestyle is, right? What do you want? You know, you're and this I got kind of got lucky. I say fortunate, not lucky, but this supports my you know, kind of lifestyle that I, that I like to live, you know, I, I'm always sort of available, but I'm always flexibility. You know, I'm not managing 400 employees at 20 Jersey Mike's or whatever it may be. And I love Jersey Mike's don't get me wrong, but that's a different type of deal. And so I think you'd get really got to take a look at what, you know, in the next five, 10, 20 years, what do you want your life to look like? And then find a franchise that fits and supports that, get your lifestyle right very well said very well said um and that's that's sort of my mantra is exactly that figure out where you want to be and work backwards and then figure out what franchise will get you to that goal exactly Uh, that's that's how i coach people uh that are looking for franchises that's awesome and and not to spring a an offhanded question on you but if you could is there one myth that you could bust um, about franchising or maybe about salon suites. I'm not sure. Anything come to mind for you on that? You know, I think one myth, um, you know, I'd really take pride in being really um, involved in our community and very hands-on. I'm not at the salons as much as I used to be, but for 15 years, you know, I was the owner, the guy that would check your sink if it's leaking, the guy that would lease the studios, everything. Um and I think that sometimes our concept, the salon suite concept, and maybe it's because uh, and I'm biased, but maybe a couple of our unnamed competitors might do it that way, that we're just landlords, um, you know, and we're not, you know, at least in, in Sola and specifically San Diego, we're not landlords, you know, we're, we're here to truly support you much more than that. But I think sometimes, you know, with this concept existing for, you know, on a national level, 15 to 20 years, Mm-hmm. You know, people can say, oh, they're just a landlord. They're just a crappy landlord. I, you know, the only time I see them is if I need something fixed. And that's right. it. You know, and, and um, you know, I just want to, you know, that's kind of a myth that sometimes people can get. And if you are just going to take this approach and just be a landlord, be a really freaking good landlord. Right. And, you know, I know I have some friends involved in Seoul and they take that approach and they're really good at it. Anything breaks, it is fixed instantly. And, and, um, you know, but but I think sometimes some again some other uh, con or other companies in our in our concept might create more of a um, you know kind of perception that is just you know a crappy landlord just collecting your money and don't bother me. But that's something that you know we really 
don't ever want to be uh, associated with. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a great concept. It's, it's always been high on my list and high on the list of the folks at Frank Choice. Um, so I, I appreciate you taking the time out, sharing your experience about Sola uh, and also your experience and everything you're putting into charge. Um, I think that's thank awesome. You. So thank you for that. Um, if you happen to see Mark Kovach, tell him I said hello and please send my regards hello. to your uncle Stratton. I didn't realize that Stratton was your uncle. I've, I've had cocktails with Stratton. So uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love uncle. So I'm actually going to see him this weekend. Our, his mother, my grandmother passed away a couple months ago. She had a hell of a life. 93, um, <laughs> you know, lived a incredible life till just a few months before she passed, but uh, we're actually all going to be out in Wichita, Kansas, where Stratton grew up for a oh. funeral. So we have about, 30 family members, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, cousins, kids, the whole deal, um, all going out there on Thursday. So I will see Stratton. So I'll say hi for you. Yeah, please do. Thank you so much. And, you know, God bless you and everything you do, especially with the gala and, and the charity, the charge charity. So thank you. And, um, and we'll catch you soon. Maybe we're going to catch you at a grateful dead show real soon. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks. This has been great. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.